The Ewan Grant Podcast, the Limestone Coast Triple M. G'day, it's Ewan. Welcome to a brand new app of the Ewan for Breakfast podcast, the first for 2024. Over the course of the Chrissy New Year break, I got the chance to not only see Kane Stuckey in concert at the Cave Gardens, but I got to talk to him about his brand new album. It's why he joins me this morning to talk all about what is going on with his musical career. Kane, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Hey, Kane, tell me about your musical journey. How did, uh, how did you find out you had a passion for music? I've had a passion for music since I was oh, a toddler, I reckon. Um, you know, there are always photos of me playing with guitars and microphones and things as a kid. Um, but uh, I reckon I, I started performing uh, Carols by Candlelight, I think it was, back when I was uh, grade three, I think, was my first kind of experience to it all. And I fell in love with it straight away and, and never stopped. Now, Kane, you've been singing in bands and playing solo for a, a number of years now across the Limestone Coast. What what gets you on stage each and every day? Uh, I just absolutely love the the adrenaline rush, the the crowd interaction. I I just love entertaining and performing. It's it's just like no other feeling that you've ever felt before. What's the uh, the genre of music that you love the most? Oh, that that fluctuates so much. My my music tastes go from uh, like heavy metal uh, to glam rock to boy bands to absolutely everything in between. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, I think rock has has my heart pretty pretty well. Kane, I've been watching your um, your website for a couple of months now, and I was watching with interest the uh, the culmination of all the work that's gone into putting your album together. You have you've collaborated with a lot of people right the way across the country. Yeah, that's right. I've got um, you know a few uh, local people uh, joining me. I've got some people from uh, Brisbane uh, and surrounding areas uh, through there. Um, I've also got my daughter doing some uh, vocals on it as well, which is really exciting. Um, I've I've just gone absolutely all out um, for this for this uh, album. So tell me about the album. I mean, what made you decide you wanted to put an album out? It's been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, I've I've been really I've I've really enjoyed playing with my bands and and everything. I've been so lucky to do that. But in the back of my head, I've always wanted to do something like this. And so, to be able to kind of break free of the the restrict uh, restrictions of you know. Um, collaborating with five people closely and stuff as, as fun as it is it was cool to break away and do something completely different uh and do stuff on my own terms so tell me about the album and of course when we're going to get to hear it so the album uh, has been absolutely fantastic i'm i'm so so excited for it um i will hopefully have a at least one single coming out quite soon we've organized a, a film clip to be organised uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the full album will be out for sale at the album launch on the 23rd of February, and then it'll go up on all uh, socials, uh, Spotify, streaming services and everything on the 25th of February. And how are you feeling, uh, Kane, about the album launch? I'm so excited for it. I've got uh, the next the next few weeks are just nothing but uh, meetings and management and promotion agencies and 
competitions, local uh, businesses getting in to help. I've just gone all out for this show um, and put everything that I've got into it. February is when it's all going to take place. We're going to catch up before then. Kane, thanks for talking to us this morning. Good luck with the album launch. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It is super exciting, and I cannot wait for the album launch. It's going to take place in February. Talking of things that are going on across the Limestone Coast, one of the news items that broke during the Christy New Year period is about the boutique hotel to be built here in the Limestone Coast. I wanted to find out all about what was going on at the Mills Precinct. Dust Studio Architect and Project Lead for the Mills, Dino, joins me for a chat. Dino, g'day. Morning, how you doing? Yeah, good. Dino, you guys have been involved with the Mills Project now for a number of years, um, and things are getting exciting. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very fortunate to be um, the architects and project managers responsible for the reimagining of this incredible historic series of buildings. Now, when you talk about historic buildings, I mean, it, it is a site that has many, many challenges. How's it been uh, trying to reinvigorate that site and, and bring it up to, I suppose, a, a modern standard? Yeah, it, it, it is challenging, but we're fortunate we've got a, a great team that are working on this and we've had a really collaborative partnership going with both the council and state heritage. Uh, if you know the, the Mills precinct, it was left to ruin for you know a number of decades. And so when the client took on the project um, and purchased the site, the first thing was to do some remediation work, which we got onto pretty quickly and, and council and heritage as they were very helpful to enable us to do that. And then we've been progressively developing this master plan and working through in you know, a very methodical way of reinvigorating the whole precinct. And of course, we've seen um, some work to do with the cinema, but then the main intervention that everyone would have seen is the forecourt and that new structure that's gone in. And and Lenny's gone into that space as well. And now we're, we're gearing up for hopefully the, the big push now, which is sort of stage two and, and the introduction of a hotel and completing the public realm. Now, this was uh, news that broke over the course of the Christmas uh, New Year period. Tell me about this boutique hotel, because I am super excited by the idea. Yeah, we it's about this time last year that it really started to get some momentum as a concept. We'd had a few different ideas with the client group around what the different spaces could be. Historically, we thought that the sort of long skinny buildings up on the Alexander Street side, so that's um, what was the dance studio, and I think it was a nightclub, Purple yeah, or something like that. A long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah, a long, long time ago. Um, so we had a few different ideas around what that could be. We always envisaged that perhaps the dance studio space on the corner could have been a, um, a hospitality offering, um, whether it be a, a microbrewery or distillery or something like that, and we'd had a few different conversations with um, potential tenants for that. But yeah, the idea of a hotel came up on the back of, well, not just our experience, but some research that we had done for potential uses. So we had a, a tourism expert come in and deliver uh, a report that did an analysis, not just of the Mount, but other similar sized towns around Australia. And that gave us confidence that there was definitely an opportunity in the market for a different type of offering in Mount Gambia. And so we, with the back on the back of that, did a feasibility to see what we could actually achieve, engaged with heritage, because anything we're doing that's that in, invasive, so to speak, or um, to do with these old historic buildings, we wanted to make sure that what we're proposing was acceptable. And they've been very, yeah, very amenable the whole way through. So that all came to fruition. We, the clients had confidence that it stacked up. And so, yeah, we pressed on through the middle of last year. And at the end of I think maybe November last year, we submitted formally for the planning approvals. 
And that's all in train right now. We're just finalising a couple of responses for council. But, yeah, we hope that in the next month we'll have our planning approval locked away and um, press on to hopefully construction starting later this year. So tell me about the boutique hotel itself and what we're going to see uh, should the plan come to fruition. Yeah, so the the space itself can accommodate uh, 20 rooms. Uh, there'll be a variety of different rooms, including um, a few fully accessible rooms as well, which is important. I mean, getting um, DDA compliance and accessibility across the site has been a key priority, so that's a great outcome as well. Um, the dance studio space will be your foyer, lobby, um, cafe, communal spaces. And then between the two buildings, there's two old wells, and we're going to create a, a new link in that space, infill that area and really let the heritage building come to life and, and illuminate that. And basically that'll be this sort of threshold that allows you to traverse into the long um, former Purples nightclub, which will house the 20 rooms across two levels. Dino, it is a sensational achievement to uh, to bring Stage 2 to a, an almost development phase. Uh, lots of people are very excited by the idea uh, for the Mills project. I cannot wait to talk more about it during the course of the year. But thank you very much for dropping by and telling us a little bit about it this morning. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. How cool will a boutique hotel be in the centre of the city as part of the Mills Precinct? It is going to be huge. Now, one of the things I talked about over the course of the week on The Breaky Show, after, of course, David Warner's retirement from Test Cricket, we started talking about sport and memorabilia and your most prized piece of memorabilia that you've got at your place. Stewie joined me for a chat. Here is what he had to say. Oh, well, my dad's a bit of a cricket fanatic, and uh, as a young fella, he actually used to write handwritten letters to cricket players back in the day when they used to be a bit more accessible. Yeah. And so uh, it just become a bit of a hobby for him as a young bloke. And he actually um, sent a letter to Donald Bradman. And uh, he actually replied with a... He used to obviously send his address with the letters as well, but he actually replied with a letter. So Dad used to ask him, you know, any tips on batting, bowling, um, you know, for up-and-coming young cricketers and he actually replied with a letter and uh, obviously signed it at the bottom. So, yeah. <laughs> Don Bradman, of course, one of, the, one of the greatest players of all time from here in South Australia. How cool is it to know that Dad's got a letter from Don Bradman? Yeah, it's pretty unreal, but um, it's actually not the only one he's got either. He's got a lot of players from that sort of early 30s and 40s and... Um, yeah, it's pr- and from other countries as well. Just so, incredible. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be one for the collection later on because it's pretty much like you can't really put a value on it because it's so sentimental. Yeah, of course, absolutely. And and with so many players from across the globe, it's a uh, well, it's, it's a collection that you're never going to want to get rid of. No, nah, not really. I think me. Oh, I don't think me and my sister will be fighting over it later on, but. Um, it'd be definitely something I'll sit down proud with my kids later on and explain, you know, who they were and and that, all that sort of thing. I know a lot of a lot of older um, cricketers from the from Mount Gambia have actually sat down and read through Dad's letters, and um, they've even said it's just, you know, to see that it's uh, definitely a once-off. It's history it's in the stuff. making, Stewie, and it's it's absolutely sensational that you guys have got it in the family. Yeah, no, pretty. Uh, Pretty uh, unreal to think, you know. You know, that is a young bloke sitting down, taking that time to write letters, and to think, you know, you got something that, you know, not many other people you're going to have. It's uh, yeah, it's unreal. Stewie, you've blown my mind. Thanks for the call this morning, mate. Not no dramas, Ewan.
Thanks for that, mate. What a great story and a great piece of memorabilia from the late, great Don Bradman. And speaking of great stories, Jamie had a great one during the week on the Brecky Show as well. I'm a mad Collingwood supporter. I've got a signed Indigenous Collingwood guarantee by a few superstars of the game. We've got Dane Swan and Nick Maxwell, who played in the 2010 AFL Grand Final, which Collingwood won. And another signature of Brian Strawn, who also was a superstar of Collingwood. Now, how did this come about? How did you get your hands on this Guernsey? Yep, so I just bought the Guernsey from a local sports store and went to a Sportsman's Day over in the Royal Hotel in Portland where I got to meet Dane Swan and Nick Maxwell. And yeah, got them to sign the Guernsey and a bit of a chat, which was good. And, and ja- uh, sorry, J- Jamie, what's it like to, uh, to, to meet the legends of AFL? Yeah, it's really, really good. They walked into the room and there was just an aura when they walked in, like both legends of the game, premiership players, captain and Brownlow medalist, and very down-to-earth players and guys. Now, it's always nice to know what is going on in the Limestone Coast, and during the course of the week, uh, the spotlight was shone on the Limestone Coast for all the wrong reasons. There's been a fish kill on the coast here in the Limestone Coast, and during the week, I got to catch up with a team from Persa to find out what was going on. Senior Biosecurity Advisor Chloe from Persa, she's on the line. Chloe, g'day. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, Chloe, we have become the uh, the spotlight, I suppose, uh, of Australian media in the Limestone Coast at the moment because of the fish kills. What happened? Yeah, so there has been a mass mortality event that has occurred down at Eight Mile Beach, um, which is east of Port McDonald. Um, so Persa received a report from a member of the public via our Fish Watch hotline on Monday, the 8th of January. Um, and this fish kill seems to be involving a range of different species. Um, so species observed have been Wobbegong shark, um, snapper, octopus, Port Jackson shark, stingrays, Australian salmon, rock lobster and also crab. Um, So at this stage, the event appears to be impacting species that are associated with rocky reefs and don't tend to move far. So they may be less likely to move away from areas um, that have changes in environmental conditions. Chloe, is this something that we have seen happen before here in the Limestone Coast? Yes, so that's a good question. Um, So Persa did receive a fish watch report of a fish mortality event on the southeast in February last year. Um, PERSA did investigate this event and um, the results from water sampling indicated that the most likely cause was um, changes to environmental conditions such as dissolved um, oxygen levels. And this time around, do we have any idea what's going on and, and why this has happened? Yeah, so the department is investigating the incident and fisheries officers have attended the site to collect samples for testings. Although the cause of death is yet to be confirmed, early indications based on water testing, uh, that low salinity um, caused by the recent high rainfall events that's been seen in the area is the most likely reason for the fish mortality event. And, And I suppose the next question, Chloe, has got to be, are we going to see more of this in the Limestone Coast, Uh, especially given the, the bizarre weather we're having across Australia at the moment? Yeah, so again, another really good question. Um, So the Department of Primary Industries and Regions does investigate an average of 15 to 20 fish kill reports um, each year around South Australia. Um, So, I mean, there's always potential that these types of events could continue to occur, um, especially when you do get events like high rainfall, um, putting freshwater inputs into marine environments and changing salinity levels. Now, Chloe, if people find a fish kill like the one that's happened in our area this week, how can they let Persa know about it? 
So we do like to encourage people um, that if they do notice anything unusual involving dead or dying fish along the waterways or the coast to call our 24-hour fish watch hotline. So that number is one 800 065-522 and we do always appreciate members of the public being vigilant when they are out on the beaches or around the rivers. Chloe is a senior biosecurity advisor with Persa. She joins me on the radio this morning to talk about the fish kill that happened during the course of the week here in the Limestone Coast. Chloe, it's been great to talk to you this morning. Thank you very much for keeping us updated with what you guys know so far. It'd be wonderful to find out uh, what has actually caused the fish kill event uh, if we uh, are able to catch up over the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today. Now, I don't know whether you've heard me talking about it on the radio or not, but there is an eight-year-old. His name is Brody, and he is doing his best to end homelessness in the Limestone Coast. His mum joins me for a chat this morning because Brody has raised a whole lot of money for AC Care. Let's talk all about it. Tammy, first of all, tell me about Brody and his challenge and his inspiration to uh, to yep. run for the whole month of January. Yep, so um, it actually started out probably three weeks ago. So we've been following Ned Brockman for a very long time. Um, but my husband and I were actually just talking about him in the car when we were driving. And Brody was in the back seat of the car and asked if he could raise money for our local homelessness. Um, at first, I you know, gave him a few days because I was like, is it an eight-year-old comment? You know, is he saying it today, tomorrow? He doesn't want to. Mm. He's like, no, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. So we spoke to AC Care and they got us up on to a link so people could donate. So he's always been wanting to help homelessness. Like he's always, every time we see somebody on the street, he's always wanting to give them food. But since taking on this challenge, I'm learning new things about my child. It actually started in Murray Bridge. We were on a holiday there as a homeless person there. I went up and asked if he wanted some food and water that we had in our car. Um, and he broke down crying. This man cried, was very grateful, took the food. I didn't remember this memory. Like, you know, as a parent, you just do these things. And and then it wasn't until this challenge that Brody brought it back up that I was like, oh, wow. So this is when this pivotal moment actually happened where he must have been the first time he experienced homelessness, I guess, because he Brody was only four at this time. Now, Tammy... Brody has managed to raise such a huge amount of money for AC <laughs> Care to uh, to help out those that are homeless in our community. Yes, three thousand three hundred and eighty nine dollars at this moment. It is truly amazing. Uh, Brody's going to be running right the way across January. It'll be interesting to see how much money he raises by the end of the month. I cannot wait to uh, to continue to follow the story. Tammy, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, for people who want to make a donation, how can they do it? Yep, so there is a link, if I can give that to you, to put on maybe your Facebook page. Absolutely. Um, also, we do have money tins at Grantville Fish and Chip Shop, uh, Lakes and Lennon Shop, and Bay Blue Espresso if anyone wants to make a cash donation. You can make cash donations at those three fantastic locations. And of course, if you jump online to the Triple M Limestone Coast Facebook page, there is a link for how you can help Brody raise as much money as possible for AC Care and for the uh, homelessness services that AC Care provide to the Limestone Coast. Tammy, congratulations to you and to Brody. It's a sensational story. It's been great to talk to you about it this morning. Hey, thank you. 
What a fantastic story, by the way. And if you jump online to the Triple M Lumstone Coast Facebook page, you'll find all the details of how you can support Brody in his fundraising for AC Care to end homelessness here in the Limestone Coast. What a cool story for a great kid. And he's only eight. Blows me away. Hey, to finish off the podcast today, let's catch up. Shane A will talk movies that you can check out this weekend. The first one to talk about is The Beekeeper. I reckon it looks pretty cool. Shane, what can you tell me about it? I didn't know too much about the plot line. And that's a good thing because there isn't much plot because I'm just going to grade this mostly on its action sequences in particular from Jason Statham. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty good. You know, he's very reliable. He's a retired professional government operative who just cares for his bees on this beautiful hive that he has set up. He gets called back in and has to, well, there's a bit of a corrupt thing going on in political terms that he takes care of. So plenty of good action scenes and it's probably uh, entertaining enough to make people want to go and see it. And Shane, these movies, uh, movies like The Beekeeper have become very, very popular. Movies like Nobody, the John Wick series, even Red to a point. Yeah, uh, probably not up to the standard of the John Wick movies. But uh, look, I do recommend The Beekeeper. It's, you don't have to think too hard, but while it's unveiling across the screen, you're going to be entertained. Now, something completely different. Anyone but you, romantic comedy in cinemas now. Yeah, this has um, been released since Boxing Day, but it became a big hit. It didn't at first, but word of mouth really got this one top of the box office. It's a romantic comedy. Uh, it's an American movie, but most of it was filmed in Australia. Uh, it's about a couple who have a bit of a history, and they get reunited at a wedding in Sydney. <laughs> That's the premise. It's an opposites attract story, been done before in romantic comedies, but it works because of the two stars and also because of the Sydney location, I think. And mm. Brian Brown, Aussie classic actor, he pops up in it too, which was a <laughs> surprise. Now, Ferrari's also in cinemas. Tell me all about it. Well, Ferrari, uh, don't be fooled. It's not a, it's a, not a, like a biography of Enzo Ferrari. It's, a, it's more or less um, a part of his life in the 50s where his company, the Ferrari company, was going down, going under. Uh, and his best friend and mentor, Penelope Cruz, plays her. Uh, they get together and work it out to bring it back to the Ferrari label and name and brand that everyone knows. It's directed by Michael Mann, so some of the, the car sort of things in it are really looking good on the big screen but adam driver i don't know if i like him or not in the lead role if you like cars i do suggest go and see it ferrari some great movies at the cinema at the moment shane a we'll catch up soon cheers that's it. The first Ewan Fabrecki podcast of 2024. It's done and dusted. Listen out Monday morning. There'll be a brand new podcast. The Limestone Coast Sports Shorts podcast is back exclusive to listener, and I'll have it up by lunchtime on Monday. Have a great weekend. I'll catch up next week. Make sure you listen out. The Brecky Show, weekday morning, 6 a.m., 90.5 Triple M.